0: Well, Anthony, thank you for that greeting and for that prayer. Thanks to everyone joining us online this morning. Thanks to all you joining us in the room. Uh, Lest 2021 was gonna be outdone by 2020. We're only 10 days in, and boy, what a ride so far. Uh, we are so glad you're with us. Uh, we are gonna jump right into our series eight. Before we do that, I just wanna highlight a couple things going on right here at the start of the year. Uh, First of all, if you have a child, fifth grade or under, you probably heard from us this week from Beverly, our children's ministry lead. We have a take-home packet for this month, especially since we know that about 85, 90% of you are still worshiping from home. And we've got great stuff for your family, for your kids. We wanna make sure you get one of these packets. Those of you in the room, if you have an elementary age or younger, stop by upstairs in the lobby and pick up your packet. This packet has all the activities that you need for the month of January to make sure your kids are staying engaged with all that God is doing in Tropolis and in their lives. Also, I'm super excited about this. If you're a parent of a middle schooler or high schooler, you might've already heard about this too. We are launching a brand new strategy for Remix. That is our middle school and high school ministry. And beginning tomorrow night, right here at the YMCA, we're launching our brand new weekly small group Bible studies. There's one for middle school girls, one for middle school boys, one for high school girls and high school boys, all at the same time. All the info is on the website. Make sure you check that out. We'd love to have your student join us tomorrow night as we kickstart this brand new season of Remix. Well, uh, oh, one last thing I need to say. We are going to be giving you a financial update when all the numbers are in from twenty. 20. And just, I mean, I've gotten a little preview, a little glimpse. I'm tempted to leak it to you, y'all. I'm just floored by God's faithfulness and by your generosity. So thank you to those of you who've been so faithful in giving and investing in God's work through your church. Uh, It's just amazing to see uh, all that he's done in such a trying year. Uh, So we're going to be bringing you those numbers uh, shortly uh, so you can celebrate with us and be a part of that. If you're interested in learning how you can give back and invest in God's kingdom work through Lake Forest Church, there's info on the web, lakeforestchurch.org forward slash, sorry, lakeforest.org forward slash gift Okay, enough of that. Let's jump right into our message. Is that all right? In 1990, something very important happened in our nation. The Hubble Space Telescope was launched into space. Now, the only problem was they had some problems with the cameras, so they had to send up some repair guys to fix the cameras, and in 1993, they installed the new cameras, which, by the way, just to frame this for you, was also the year I got my first pager. Y'all remember pagers? Does that give you a little bit of a time frame? Okay, so it was 1993, and these scientists took this Hubble Space Telescope. Up until this point, they'd mostly been taking images of the moon and of Saturn's rings, because those look cool. So they pointed it to the darkest corners of outer space, and they pressed click, and this is the images that came back. Take a look at these. You can scroll right through those as I talk about this. You know, these scientists, uh, these astronomers had no idea what they were going to see when they pointed into the darkest corners. And what they found was that the universe was even bigger, even grander. There were more galaxies than they had even thought possible in the entire universe. The Hubble Space Telescope, by the way, sees 15 billion light years into the darkest recesses. And what they discovered were countless galaxies and that the universe was actually expanding at a rate that was quickening with every day, year, and light year. You see, there's just something about creation, something about the universe that stirs in us a kind of wonder, isn't there? It it, kind of heightens our senses. It it captivates us in a way. The great author and theologian C.S. Lewis described this phenomenon this way. He said ever since men and I would add women, ever since men and women have been able to think, they have been wondering what this universe is really is and how it came to be. Something about the universe, something about the stars in the sky, something about the creation itself stirs in us these kinds of questions. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Well, today we officially launch our series, The Whole Story, and it's all about the Bible. We are taking the next 12 months to preach cover to cover through the whole of the Bible, 52 weeks, because as Christians and as a church, we believe that the Bible is divinely inspired. It is the authoritative source for all matters of faith, and as Christians, we want to learn how to be good students, good readers of the Bible, fact, last week we handed out these in person and online and we invited you to join us. Uh, We've got a daily reading plan. There are five readings each week that then lead up to the sermon that we're we're preaching on Sunday. So this week you would have read the passage that I'm going to preach on here in just a few moments. You can find this online. We'd love for you to jump in. This is not a guilt thing. If you don't get to all of them that week, that's okay. But it's a chance for us to be reading the Bible together. Also, we're sending out discussion questions to Group leaders, both men's groups, women's groups, community groups, all of our groups are going to be getting discussion questions, and your leader might choose for your group to engage in what we're talking about here on Sunday mornings. Well, uh, this morning, I want to start right where you think we would have started last week, which is right at the very beginning of the Bible. You see, everyone loves a good origin story. Uh, Whether it's your favorite superhero, Hobbit, or Star Wars bounty hunter, at some point, we all want to know where that person came from and how the story got started. Origin stories tell us a lot about the world, how we got here, and what gave rise to our current challenges around us. And that's what today's message is about. Today, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. Most of us are familiar with this story. And even if you aren't, chances are you've heard these words before, either in movies or in books. But regardless of how familiar you are or not familiar you are with this story, today I want you to listen as if for the first time. Because I think there's something that we are going to discover, something we're going to see that we might not have seen before. So listen to how this famous Passage in the Bible opens, Genesis 1.1. Let me read to you verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. There is so much in these first few words, so much in this first chapter that I want to cover with you. In fact, what I thought we would do, since uh, you all are here, I thought we would just go from now all the way until dinner time, and we can touch on everything that's included. I'm just kidding. I know many of you want to get home to watch the Saints lose today, so we're gonna just we're just gonna touch on three key themes three insights that are gonna be foundational for us in this whole story as we go throughout this year. So three themes that I wanna highlight today. There's lots we're not gonna get to. You can get to that in your groups. Today, three themes that are gonna carry through. So first theme is this, first observation is this. Before creation, there was God. You see, right from the beginning of Genesis, in these opening words, we discover something quite profound. Who's the first character to show up in the Bible? Well, that's right, it's God, right? He's the first character. You see, the Bible is not primarily a story about you and me, though we are included. It's first and foremost the story about God. It's his story. In the beginning, God. And you might say, well, Aaron, like, that's kind of juvenile, right? Duh, we get that. But this is quite profound, and I don't want us to miss it. You see, in the ancient world, there were lots of different creation stories. There were lots of different creation myths. There were lots of ways of explaining how this whole thing got started. In fact, the Egyptians, the Mesopotamians, the Babylonians, the Canaanites, all of them had their own version of how the world came to be. And in almost all of these accounts, the world comes about to be in some really R-rated ways. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you about it. Let me just summarize it. There's violence. There's assault. In one account, the human race arises from the blood of a dead sea monster. True story. You can go and read it. And in all of these stories, all of them, humans are almost always a total, utter accident. They're an afterthought. There's something that just kind of happened in the midst of everything else. There are often multiple gods behaving very badly, kind of like the characters from Bridgerton or Gossip Girl, fighting it out tooth and nail, and the world somehow just pop, comes to be. And yet, and yet, in the Genesis story, everything starts with this. In the beginning, God created see, the Genesis account tells us that the universe was not an accident. It was not as the result of violence or chaos or anything else. It is the result of God, the great creator, the great artist. He creates out of nothing. He is the only thing that is not created. Theologians have a word in Latin for this. They call it ex nihilo, God created from nothing. The picture of God here is God as the great painter, he doesn't just paint on a blank canvas, he creates the canvas and the paints and the brushes to do the creating. You get a picture here. He is the one who brings order and beauty out of darkness and chaos. And the Hebrew writer of Genesis, he uses some incredibly poetic language to make this point. Look at the rest of the verse. Now the earth was formless and empty, a void. Darkness hovered over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You know, one of my favorite things about living in North Carolina, we've lived here now for seven years. And one of my favorite things about North Carolina is the night sky. I just love to go out on our back deck and look up on a clear night and just see stars beyond what I can count. And you have to understand why this is so special, because when we lived in Los Angeles, there was so much light pollution, you you couldn't see any stars. There were a few stars, but they tended to blink and move and eventually land on the ground at LAX airport. I mean, so coming here, it was just breathtaking, right, to see, to see all these stars just filling the night sky. And it caused me to ponder that very question, where did this all come from, right? Have you ever pondered that? Have you ever stood before nature in some way and been captivated? Where did this all begin? Where did it all come from? Stephen Hawking, the great theological—sorry, uh, theoretical astrophysicist, speaks of this very phenomenon on his Facebook page. He writes this. He says, I have always wondered what makes the universe exist. Time and space may forever be a mystery, but that has not stopped my pursuit. Our connections to one another have grown infinitely, and now I have the chance. Now that I have the chance, I'm eager to share this journey with you. Be curious, he says. I know I will forever be. You see, there's something about the universe that makes us curious. We have this sense that if the world exists, there must be something to have caused it. In philosophy, this is called the cosmological argument. And it simply says that when we look around at the world, at the cosmos, we know that it didn't create itself. There has to be a beginning. There has to be a creator. The Greek philosopher Aristotle called this creator the unmoved mover. Saint Aquinas called to him the first cause. I like G.K. Chesterton's version. He says it this way. He says, I have always felt that life is a story. And if there is a story, there must be a storyteller. Why did God begin his story with such a marvelous creation? Well, I think he did it so that we might wonder, I think he did it so that we might be curious, as the Apostle Paul says, that we might reach out and grasp him, though he is not far from any of us. See, every time we look up, we are made to think, who made this? What kind of God? Well, the first line of Genesis tells us a lot about who. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. Genesis 1 reminds us that the universe is not the result of God's battling it out, nor the spilled blood of a dead sea monster, as cool as that might have been. In the beginning, there was God, and that God created everything. That's our first principle. Now, the second one builds on this. And what comes next is often the point of a lot of unnecessary confusion and controversy. The second point I want to make today, the second observation, is that Genesis chapter 1 isn't so much designed to answer the question of how God created, but rather why God created. The how question is an important question. That doesn't seem to be the most important one to the writer, the Hebrew writer of Genesis 1. The scholar and pastor Tim Keller describes Genesis this way. He describes it as the song of creation. We get songs, right? We love songs. We sing songs every Sunday. By the way, if you are worshiping from home, we want you to know we'd love for you to come and join us in person. We've got room for you. You're welcome anytime. Whenever you're ready, we'd love to have you. We worship through song. Why? Because song has a unique way of capturing a truth and proclaiming that and sinking that truth deep into our hearts and souls. And that's exactly what the Genesis writer is doing here. He writes this song, and it is full of truth and goodness and beauty, and, and there's a kind of rhythm to it. Watch this. Watch how the, it continues. Remember, we read this. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. Now watch this. Here's where the song begins. All of that describes a non-reality, a non-existent. God's Spirit is present, and it begins this way. And God said let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. Do y'all want me to sing it? I can sing that. out loud. Yeah, Yeah. No, I, I won't bore you. There we go. Did you notice the pattern? This is the pattern that gets repeated over and over and over again. Here's the pattern. Something is not there. Then God makes it. He calls it good. And the day ends. Something is not there. Then God makes it. He calls it good. And the day ends. Any guesses as to how many times this happens? Seven times. Some of you guys are smart. We're going to get to that in just a second. Now, look at how these days relate to each other, right? because there's actually a pattern. Remember, this is a song. There's some rhythm. And it goes like this. Day one, middle schoolers, you got to help out parents, okay? Middle schoolers, help out mom and dad if they're struggling. You're going to see this very quickly. Day one, God, I'll do it this way. Day one, God creates light. Now watch this. Day four, he creates the sun, moon, and the stars. He hangs the luminaries in the sky. Okay, you see that first pair. Now the second pair, day two, he creates the waters in the sky. Guess what he creates on day five? He, birds and air, excuse me, birds and fish to fill the air and the lake. So You can go shoot and fish them, right? That's, yeah, yeah. You got the idea. Do you see this pattern? Day one to day four, day two to day five, day three to day six. It's all moving somewhere. It's all going somewhere. Where is it going? Well, it's pointing like a giant funnel to day seven. Thus, The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. He went to Dunkin' Donuts and got a large coffee and a box of donut holes. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Why? Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You see what I'm getting at here? This is the point of Genesis one. This is the chorus, this is the climax, and the Hebrew author does not want us to miss it. That's why the number seven is all over this song. In fact, if we were going to name this song, I would name it seven, and here's why. Did you know that the very opening line of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, that is how many words? It is seven words. Uh, Genesis has seven days of creation. Good is mentioned seven times in this chapter. And the best and all hidden here, the last three stanzas, Genesis 2, 1 through 3, are composed of three stanzas, each with seven words in Hebrew. My friends, this is not by accident. This is by design. The whole point of creation is that it is a gift of rest. That's why in the Genesis story. The seventh day has no ending. There is no evening. There is no morning on the seventh day. Did you know that? Because God's intention was that humanity would live in his creation and rest for eternity. Y'all, that is just freaking cool, right? Did you see? I mean, what? You mean day seven's not supposed to? No. No. God's intention was that you and I would live in his creation, share in his creation and purpose, and enjoy it and his rest for eternity. Now, we know that what's coming in the next chapter is an unfortunate turn that's going to threaten that very gift, but we'll get to that next week. Y'all with me okay? Y'all with me up till this point? All right, here we go. Here we go. Now, It's here that a lot of people start to get really nervous. In fact, some of you might be fidgeting in your seat right now. Some of you might be fidgeting at home. Aaron, what do you mean this is a song? What do you mean the seventh day wasn't supposed to end? I thought the Bible meant that each of these days was a literal 24 hours. Doesn't it have to be that? Well, maybe. Or maybe not. See, the Hebrew word for day is the word yom. Some of you will know this. I've taught on this before. It can mean a literal 24-hour period. It can also refer to a longer season of time, undisclosed. The way we might say, man, Jason, it's been a minute since we've hung out, man, right? You and I both know I mean something other than minute. In fact, I mean a really long time. But it can also be used as a literary device pointing to something bigger. My point is simply this, there are multiple ways of understanding this creation account in Genesis, and all of them, let me say it again, all of them are legitimate biblical views, all of them. In fact, very intelligent, bright Christians disagree on this very thing. Now, my own personal view on this, my own personal view probably won't surprise you, Uh, I I actually think that the universe is billions of years old. I I really do. I, I don't think there is a conflict between faith and science. In fact, if anything, in my life, scientific discovery has only deepened. It has only increased my sense of awe and wonder. If a God can create a universe out of nothing, I don't need to provide any limits on him on how he's going to do that. He's way bigger than that. Now, for a lot of us, this has been a real struggle. We thought that we had to choose between faith and science, that have to so-called believe in one and reject the other. My friends, that is not the teaching of the Scriptures, not the teaching. In fact, uh, there's a resource I want to commend to you if you've got questions about this or would like to study more. One resource that I have found to be very, very helpful It's called 40 Questions About Creation and Evolution, and it's going to lay out the positive claims for each of these perspectives. It'll lay out the positive claims for a young earth perspective, for an old earth perspective, for evolutionary creationism, and for intelligent design. You can learn each of those perspectives yourself. Look at the scriptures, study them, listen, humbly come to your own conclusion. Which brings me, To our third and final observation for this morning. There's one last theme in Genesis that we need to look at as we begin this journey through the whole story in 2021, and that is this, that the God who created the universe, the God who created everything out of nothing also, also created human beings in his own image. Look with me at verse 26 and 27. Let's zero in. On day six, then God said, Let us now pause there. Some of you are going to get tripped up. Wait, Aaron, I thought you said there was one God. I did. If you've journeyed in the church at all, you might be familiar with this concept of the Trinity God three in one. We sang it this morning. Did you know that the Trinity shows up in the first two verses of Genesis? Do you remember this? There's God, there's the Spirit hovering over the deep. And there is God's word that is spoken in creation. From the very first pages, St. Augustine, the sixth century uh, um, African bishop teaches us that the Trinity is already appearing. Let's go back, verse 26 and 27. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, so that, They may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground and that massive pile of dirty laundry in your basement. So, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Notice how he made human beings, he made them special. He made them to reflect Him. He made them to be able to absorb just a little bit of His glory and spread that around to others. We are made in His own image. Now, the Hebrews were not the first people to kind of think of this concept or to make this claim. In fact, many ancient cultures believed that certain human beings could bear the image of God better than others. But in these cultures, it was only kings or emperors who were made in God's image. The Babylonians were particularly arrogant. They saw themselves as better than other nations and ethnicities because they were made from the soil of the earth, while other nations and ethnicities were made, I'll just summarize it this way, by illegitimate origins. We'll keep it PG this morning. And they used this. Get this. The Babylonians thought of themselves as distinctly or differently made than other human beings, and they used this to justify the enslaving and mistreating of other people groups. This was the common understanding in the ancient world. But what was so unique, y'all, what was so revolutionary about Genesis 1, was that it made the claim, the scriptures claim that every human being, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of national identity, regardless of social standing, rich or poor, tall or short, ugly or beautiful, every human being was made in the image of God. You see, the reason Christians value the life of every child The reason Christians care about justice and equality, the reason Christians are called to love our neighbors, to treat everyone with dignity, is because the scriptures teach that every human being, regardless of their story, is created in the image of God. And this, this, my friends, is a very important reminder for us in our world today. Our culture would have us take those with whom we disagree, those with whom we think different from politically, socially, economically, ethnically, and reduce them to some kind of notch just a little bit lower than us. Why? Because if we can label them, if we can dehumanize them, if we can dismiss them just a little bit, then we can justify turning a blind eye or treating them without the dignity that they deserve. Dignity that comes from being made in the image of God. But not the Christian. Not the Christian. Not the Jesus follower. We are called to a higher standard. We are called to love our neighbor as ourself, to give dignity to every human person because we know the origin story. Because we know where it began in the beginning in Genesis 1 that every person is created in God's image In the beginning, he created them male and female. He created them in his own image. So how are you doing on this one? In a very difficult time, right? Easy to lump people into groups. Easy to label. Easy to dismiss. And if this is a struggle for you, let me challenge you. Christian, if you're not a Christian, you're off the hook. You can buy into the Babylonian myth. But if you're a Christian, let me challenge you to ask God to help you to discover and see and honor the image of God in that other person. Well, as I said, I wanted to give us just three quick foundational elements as we begin this journey. We're going to talk about these a lot. These are going to come up over and over and over again as we go through the whole story. But today, I want to end by sharing something that I've shared before, because I find this insight uh, from another author to be simply remarkable when it comes to the creation story. You see, it's only been in the last century that scientists have come to grips with the notion that there was, in fact, a beginning. (laughs) Up until about 100 years ago, the dominant view in science was that the universe had no beginning. It just always had been. But today, thanks to new discoveries and images like those that we saw from the Hubble Space Telescope, scientists are learning new things about the origin of the universe. The dominant theory today, most of you will know this, it's become quite popular, is referred to as the Big Bang Theory that the universe began as a singular point, a point of singularity, and that everything that exists came from that one point. And if you read about this, if you read about how this happens cosmically, mathematically, it is just mind-blowing. Francis Collins, who is who was the head of the Human Genome Project, is now the director of the National Institute of Health, writes in his book, God and the Astronomers, that more than any other scientific theory, the Big Bang Theory begs the question, who created all of this? If the universe began as a point of singularity, who created that? And where did it all come from? And Francis Collins, who is a follower of Jesus, argues that this question is not one that science alone can answer. He said that is a question that requires faith. But there's something even more staggering than the Big Bang Theory itself. The universe appears in the oddest of ways, in the strangest of ways, to have been designed to support life. This is sometimes called the anthropic principle. It's talked a lot about in the fields of cosmology and physics. Uh, Let me give you one of these examples. I'm gonna do my best, I'm a pastor, I'm not a physicist. Let me do my best to explain how this works. Apparently, about one millisecond after the Big Bang, which one millisecond, if you don't know how long that is, just imagine how long it takes me to get from my bed to my coffee maker in the morning. You got that? That's about one, one millisecond, maybe half a millisecond, right? Okay, one millisecond after the Big Bang, the universe, cooled down enough for what are called quarks and anti-quarks to condense out. And the way that that worked, as I understand it, is that any quark encountering an anti-quark would result in the complete annihilation of both and the release of this little photon of energy. But as it turns out, as it turns out, there were not an equal number of quarks and anti-quarks when it be, when it banged. Turns out that the symmetry you would expect was off by the tiniest bit that nobody could have predicted. Any guesses as to how much it was off? It was off by one billionth, one little billionth of a quark. Excuse me, one. There were one billion antiquarks. There's left over one little lonely quark. Now, why is there this asymmetry? Nobody knows. But it turns out that if there had been an equal number of quarks and anti-quarks, they would have annihilated each other and there would be no universe, no galaxies, no solar system, no planet, no football, no bacon, no coffee, can you imagine? It turns out that one in a billion lonely, leftover little quark made it possible for there to be galaxies, stars, planets, and oh, by the way, you. It gives a whole new meaning to those first four words of the Bible, doesn't it? In the beginning, God. Not only that, one last little nerdy thing on this. I just love this. There are about 15 other constants in the universe, like the force of gravity, that are exactly what they need to be in order for life to exist. And it turns out that those values of those 15 exactitudes are exactly what they need to be in order to support life. So, so, if the God who created the universe was that purposeful in his creation story, can you imagine the purpose he has for you and your story? If the God of the universe was that careful, that precise in the creation of his universe, can you imagine the purpose he has for your story? That's where we're headed next week, Genesis 2 and 3. I hope you'll read it this week. I hope you'll join us for this whole story. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, today as we just try to get our minds around this beginning, where it all got started. Lord, it can be easy to to find ourselves kind of in over our heads, feeling confused, maybe uncertain with lots of questions. Lord, today I pray that we would hear your spirit breaking through the darkness. We would hear your spirit breaking through the chaos and darkness of our lives. We might hear the voice of your spirit whispering and speaking to us the very way you spoke creation into existence. God, this idea that you created the universe on purpose, that you made us on purpose, is the foundation of so much in the rest of your story. And it's so important for our lives. I pray that today we could rest in that again knowing that we were not an accident, but that you made each and every one of us on purpose and for purpose. Father, thank you for the gift of your creation. Thank you for the gift of life. Would you teach us how to be a part of your story? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.